Hello, I'm John Deeks and welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast. You know, one of the most thoughtful and important things you can do for your family is to leave them with a clear understanding of your final wishes. Now, sadly, many people do not get their affairs in order and it's left up to others, such as the courts, to make decisions that, in retrospect, they would have preferred to have done themselves. It's time-consuming, it's taxing and an emotional burden on those you've left behind. Seeking legal advice early from an experienced wills and estates lawyer is the best way to protect yourself and your family and your assets. So my job today is to demystify the subject. I'm in the Sydney offices of Ivy Law Group and speaking to principal lawyer Shane Neagle on this subject of wills, estate planning and the like. Welcome Shane and do you have a will? I do John, yes I actually do. Wills are usually are when you start to have some assets. What I'd say to people is if you're sitting in this room and you have children or grandchildren, do you want them to fight? So what happens if you die without a will? Then your estate will be subject to what's called the laws of intestate and there's a formula. And normally, for instance, if you've got a partner and you're older and it would normally go to them automatically under the estate rules, then if there's none, then to the children. If there's no children, it goes over to your parents, would you believe? And if there's parents because you no parents because you're old, then it will go to your brothers or sisters and then down to cousins and then blah, 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 to the state. If I, I leave a piece of paper with my wishes on it and I sign it, is that a will? It is. It would be considered an informal will. Uh, if you found it around the home and it was your mum's, uh, you could take that to the lawyer and he or she could take that up to the Supreme Court to try to argue that this is an informal will in relation to what were the intentions of their parent in this case. I guess you would prefer people to come around the other way and get their affairs in order before it gets all messy because we hear some horror stories about families because, as my grandma used to say, where there's a will, there's a relative. Uh, where there's a no will, there can be thunder. So I've had cases where we've been to the Supreme Court where they used, a, for instance, and nothing criticising postal wills, it's, at least it's an attempt. But in those dispute cases we've had, the person, the testator they're called, the person making the will, was unable to fit everything in the three lines that's given in the, the actual postal will. We're up in a case where the number of beneficiaries and who was intending to get something under what how, how the testator had, had it, there was nine different parties. So $180,000 later for a court to interpret what the testator was hoping to achieve. So what I say to people is that you might oh, be resistant to want to have to have $700 spent on a will, which is normally the Sydney sort of price for a basic will, but they can become complicated. And I would highly recommend that they tend upon a lawyer with legal training in wills and estates. And normally, under most circumstances, the person has come to see the lawyer, the lawyer will suggest that you keep it with them in safe custody. And when the person dies, the executor will normally contact the lawyer and, they, and then they get that will and then they take it up to get what's called probate at the Supreme Court. What are some of the reasons people don't go and get a will? It's money. They think that lawyers are going to overcharge them, make it more complicated than they think it really is. Also, they're not wanting to face what is the inevitable that we all face. That can be something um, that comes at you and, and sort of resisting and wanting to go see a lawyer to deal with these things. And sorry to say this, people can be in financially abusive relationships with their other partner. What are your obligations to look after or protect the person who's wanting to make the will? 
the first test that we always run are taking lawyers, whether the person or older person, whether they have capacity. So that's the first thing that we worry about because a lot of people come in with one of their children and, and I've been called to the Supreme Court in a case where I uh, had a, a daughter come in with the mother and they did the will and after she died I was called to the Supreme Court about what the daughter was saying because all the other brothers said that she had influenced her. Now, in that case, we had undertaken detailed file notes and advices and we insisted that she often uh, have a capacity test, which she passed by a neuropsychologist. We care about them and it's awful seeing what can often happen is one child starts to manipulate one of the parents. We see it all the time, elder abuse, elder abuse, constantly in the media, and it's something that we're very, very mindful as lawyers constantly. So that's one of the first things that we, we worry about. And then, of course, yeah, we we actually uh, will even give advice to the client once the capacity test comes back to say, look, uh, we'd like to have all your children involved. We can't make them do that. That's their business. We often get the case where one child manipulates over all the others and starts to actually abuse the surviving parent into believing everybody else is um, uh, Satan. And I cannot tell you, your audience strongly enough how important those things are taken into account emotionally and not to avoid making your wills, but to have your affairs in order after you pass away and so the surviving partner is also protected and it's too complicated to talk about the different scenarios. So there's some of the aspects we're considering as lawyers when we're talking to the clients. When I had my will done, uh, I was also advised on, on medical and, and other documents that should be put in place as well. Yeah, so the three main ones are a power of attorney, a guardianship document, and also what we call a medical directive. Now, the first one's to do with you can have it so you only applies when you lose capacity and then a, 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 you know normally a geriatric psychiatrist to say, yes, they've lost capacity and therefore uh, what we're going to do is allow this other person to deal with their affairs. Then you have the guardianship one, which is very important. It's really important that allows people to take that document to doctors, to medical facilities, nursing homes to say, this is how we want the person, how you want to be treated. And the really important one is a medical directive as well. And, and I'm sorry to everyone out in the world that there's all these complications, but they, I wish there was one document. I'm fighting for that for many years. But just one thing where you say, look, if I'm at a state where I'm in a coma or whatever I might be, and it might be after a week, I want you to uh, turn off the machines. And I think some hospitals will have guidelines on it in terms of particularly religious one based ones. So that document's very important because without it, yeah, you're struggling against the system a little bit and you might have to go to court. Or it's, and what would be also, also, you know, the guardianship tribunal, but in terms of that death one, that's, you know, oh my God, how, how long is a piece of string in terms of litigation that can go on? And then having competing family members against each other. That's why these documents are so important and really I, I want to stand up for lawyers because there's so many good lawyers out there who are caring about their, their clients just as doctors with patients, just with accountants. We do care and we want them to be looked after and not to be subject to these terrible situations. Nothing's foolproof but it certainly uh, it will help. And, and, and one example is in your will is whether you want to be cremated Bad enough as it is when you do lose a loved one, but when, when, you, when you see and hear families torn apart because of money and, and, and all the rest of it, uh, that's something we can't control. What we can control is getting hold of a, of a lawyer that you trust. And what do you suggest to people about finding a lawyer to do a will? 
Look, it's the old thing, isn't it, that you, you know, when you want a good doctor to fix your knee, you ask who's the good surgeon around. And it's the same thing, I suppose. But the, most law societies in each state and territory will give you the name of three uh, people if you're finding it difficult to get a referral. Uh, there's age rights services that they have particular different lawyers and panels that they refer to. All of these people are very well experienced and care about what they do. And you really put your faith in an industry because there's so many good people doing the right thing, I promise you. Shane Neagle, thank you very much for giving up your valuable time. Please, if you don't have a will, do something about it because the ones left behind deserve it. I hope you've found this podcast of interest. And until next time, this is me, John Deek, saying be well, be happy, and thank you for joining Your Life Choices. Your Life Choices.